this is a good day. And that, this is a good day. I'm, I, I feel good about today. We're sort of basking in the afterglow of this uh, garage sale. And uh, um, as I did the final lock on the door yesterday afternoon, there was such an incredible cleanup crew. I said, you cannot tell that there was a garage sale in this building today. It was awesome. It was so clean and cool. But the success of it, it's a good day because it's Kayla's first day with us. We're excited to have you here, Kayla. And thank you for sharing a little bit of your heart about worship. Um, it's a good day for Megan and me. Here's a little picture. Haven't changed a bit, have we? Yeah. <laughs> Love those lapels, huh? And the sideburn. Christ Church of Oakbrook. We were just married, we were married in Oakbrook. So, um, for those of you who've been keeping up with the Summer Book Club, we have finished reading through the whole uh, New Testament. Uh, and as we read together, um, it's a day to celebrate. Uh, a lot of us have finished up, finished up reading with Revelation this week, and uh, the community is made stronger as we, uh, as we read it together, as we discuss it together. Uh, if you haven't finished yet or feeling, um, please don't feel guilty. Just feel encouraged. Um, there's still some time this week to catch up. Uh, there's still books available if you haven't even started. Don't expect you to read the whole thing this week unless you've got a lot of time, but uh, grab this book. I just said this morning to the class as we gather that I'm going to keep this version of the, uh, of the Bible uh, with some of my devotional stuff because um, reading through the Bible is a great way, uh, and you don't have to do it in a 40-day thing. You can do it over a period of a year or however long, but just to read kind of the general sweep of Scripture, it's a wonderful uh, way to do it. So we're going to catch up this week, and then next Sunday we're going to kind of wrap it all up as we finish this series. And encourage you, if you have anything that you'd like to share, any insights that have come, questions that have been raised, or ways that God has spoken to you through this uh, series, we'd love for you to have a moment just to, uh, to speak to it. We'll kind of pass the mic around. If you're uncomfortable speaking in front of people, you could write it down, and I will read it for you. But I uh, just want to encourage you, if you have something you want to share uh, with the community, because that encourages us as we've done this together to, uh, to, to let me know this week, or um, you can even just be ready if the spirit moves you next Sunday. We'll uh, we'll be out with a roving microphone. So, um, as we've been reading these last couple of weeks, especially, it seems that the theme in some of these final books of the New Testament revolved around the issues of struggle, struggle against persecution, struggle with the suffering that some of them were enduring. As we read in the book of Revelation this week, it seems that Revelation is not just anticipating the end times, but it's also anticipating sort of a buildup of sort of the, 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 the evil power of the Roman Empire. And that's some of what this uh, symbolic language is dealing with, is the, is the suffering that will come upon God's people. Uh, as the secular empire grows big and people are drawn to worship the emperor of Rome rather than to worship the one true God in and through Jesus Christ. So the element of suffering is there. There's also woven through many of the New Testament books we've seen this theme of the struggle with false teaching. In that early church, false teaching was coming in trying to pull people away from Christ. And really that's the focus of First John especially. I loved reading 1 John all through in one day. It was Monday was the day to read 1 John. And um, there's lots of familiar and quotable verses in John. I love John 3.1. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. I love that verse. In fact, I preached one of my first sermons on that text. I looked back in my list. It was about sermon number five. This was in the summer of 1981. Uh, we had been married six years, if you do the math, and uh, we had just had our first child. And um, I remember preaching on this and having so much fun with the word lavished. Lavished. God has lavished his love upon us. 
We jump to chapter 4, and these are some words that may be familiar to you as well. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. The love of God. And then the images of light and dark that come to us from John's first letter as well. In verse 4 of chapter 4 that finishes with these words, The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you, Jesus Christ, than the evil one who is in the world. These words of encouragement, we lift that verse out and it encourages us today. And then the passage that we just heard in verses 5 and 7 says, This is the message we've heard from him and declared to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Some of those familiar words and images that come to us from John's first letter. It's rich stuff, isn't it? And there's a lot here about who God is and about who we should be in relationship to him. I hear themes in 1 John, themes of truth and themes of of authenticity. And that's really kind of what I want to work with uh, this morning as we press in a little bit to these first 10 verses in John's first letter. In his first letter, John uses the imagery of light to point to the truth, the truth of who Jesus really is and the truth about who we really can be as we follow him. John is using this image of light to look at truth, and so I want to look at it in two parts about authenticity here. First of all, an authentic faith where God gets real with us in the person of Christ, and then our living as authentic followers where we get real with God and get real with others. Authentic faith and authentic followers. The very first verse again says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim Concerning the word of life. Now, the first John does not claim to be written by John, but if you know the Gospel of John, where who we, and we do know he wrote that, you can hear these similarities about the beginning. We have touched him. We've looked at him. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. John wants to make sure that these readers know the real Jesus, that they are knowing the real Jesus. You see, that was the nature of the false teaching, the, the darkness that was descending on the churches that John is writing to here. They've been being hammered with this false teaching. The false teaching really came from the Greek belief that only spirit is good and all flesh and physical matter is evil. Spirit is good, flesh and physical matter is evil, like real human bodies. And so therefore, the Greek people who were coming to Christ, or were at least coming into the sphere of Christianity, had a hard time accepting that, this tr- that, that the true flesh and blood, that Jesus had true flesh and true blood. They had a hard time grappling with the humanity, that this one who claimed to be fully God would come in what they perceived as evil flesh and humanity. And then related to this false belief about spirit and flesh was a a false morality as well. Because if the body is evil and the spirit is good, then it doesn't matter what you do with the body. And so therefore you can indulge all the appetites of the body with food and sexually and otherwise. And it didn't matter what you did with the body as long as your spirit was in touch with God. And also this concern only for the spirit and not for the body also led to a devaluing of relationships and therefore little concern for other people. So you can see how a false belief about spirit and matter was one thing, but when it affected a person's morality and then it affected relationships with others, this was an evil and a dark, a dark teaching that was descending upon the church in these early days. 
And then finally, in the midst of this too, and you can pick this up as you read, there were some who were teaching that they claimed to be the super spiritual ones. These are the ones that had special spiritual insight. These are the people who would always say, well, God told me, as opposed to how he probably rarely speaks to you. There's sort of that implication. I know something you don't. I have special spiritual knowledge and awareness. There was also that kind of element that was weaving its way through the community. And to all of these people then, to these false beliefs, John says, hey, we saw him, we heard him, we hung out with him, we touched him, we ate meals with him. He was totally human. And we also witnessed the resurrection. We actually were with him when God's voice literally said, I approve, this is my son. And we are experiencing a whole different quality of life now that we know him. We know the real Jesus. We were there, we touched him, we heard him, we saw him, we hung out with him, he ate. We were there when he rose from the dead. There was no denying that this was the risen Jesus. And right now we are living a life that is empowered by him. Our lives are totally different. We know the real Jesus. We are eyewitnesses of him and we are eyewitnesses and we are life witnesses that Jesus is fully God and fully man. John is saying here, God gets real with us. Ours is an authentic faith. It's an authentic faith where God gets real with us, says John. But John's concern and his teaching are concerned with more than just believing the right things. This this authentic faith also has has to have a direct bearing on their life together. And knowing the real Jesus together also leads to to deeper connections and to a a deeper joy. Verse 3, he says this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, this stuff about the real Jesus. We proclaim it to you, and the so that is so important here, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. You see, an authentic faith is a faith that's lived out together. Authentic faith is lived in relationship with God through Christ and lived out in relationship with each other in Christian community. John says, we tell you this not just so that your individual faith is something that you affirm and you feel good about what you believe. We do this so that we might have these connections together and say, we know Christ together. We are made strong together as we live out this faith together. There are connections that go deep when we, are, when we, when we serve together and when we learn together. It was so fun this week watching uh, and interacting during the preparation as we uh, built up to the garage sale to see people who came here and impatiently sifted through what appeared to me to be junk. But, um, and some of it actually was. Some of it did find its way to the dumpster, not to the sale table. We won't tell you what stuff it was. Thank you for your donations anyway. But anyway, but, but, but to see the attitudes and the joy of, of going through things and this positive spirit of working together. It was great to see people who came to who already had natural connections and friendships, but then to see others who maybe didn't even know each other that well and, and to be sorting the six T's from the size fives, you know, brought them together, for example. And to see that, that happening. And then to see just that, uh, uh, the smooth work of the cleanup yesterday afternoon just impressed me so much. Now, these are not the deep connections at that time. There was not deep sharing about faith there, but these are the friendships that build that within then there are those connections that can follow up where we do go deeper in Christ. That's what happens in the body of Christ. We hang out together. We spend time together. We serve together that way for a very important purpose. But then what we want to do is take that and say, let's also, the next time we get together, maybe say, how is God working in your life? 
What have you learned through this, and what is God doing? These are the connections. We share the real faith, this authentic faith in Jesus, and we do it, and we do life together. And then John says, and when that happens, there is joy. Verse 4, he says, we write this to make our joy complete. It sounds like it's all about him and the people he's hanging out with, but what it really means is that it's a, uh, it's a joy we share together. In fact, the New Living says, so that you may fully share our, our joy. This is good. This is right. This is real. Thank you, Jesus. Authentic faith. Authentic faith together. When Megan and I had the privilege of celebrating our 40th anniversary uh, by a few days in Costa Rica uh, a few weeks ago, we stayed in a really beautiful resort like nothing we've stayed in before. And it was, a, it was a wonderful place. And there was many cool features about our room that we would love to tell you about later. But one of the cool things I want to think, tell you about now is the lighting. It had the coolest lighting in this room. There are these little tiny little bullet lights that were all over the place. And um, when you walk into the room, there's a little panel right here. And you could turn on individual ones or you could push one on that just said, all lighting. And just... And it didn't just come on, it kind of came up like that. And then you could dim it down a little bit. And you could pick certain ones to be brighter and other ones like that. And there was one of those all right by the door, and there was also one on either side of the bed. So that was time, you know, you could just kind of reach over, and then the lights, they didn't just click off, they kind of went down like that. The coolest thing is when you got up, and people who have been married for 40 years generally have to get up at least once during the night. And, um, and, you would, and, I would, and the room would be dark, and there'd be a little light outside, but a little dark. And you'd come around the corner and towards where the vanity is, and there was a light sensor that picked up, and a little light came up underneath the vanity and just sort of lit the way to the throne. Anyway, and... Um, <laughs> It was just, it was awesome. Just, it was just sort of a, this, this, this richness of light. And uh, so the room could be bright when we needed it to be, when we were packing and everything else, and it could be lights low, and we were just hanging out and spending time there. Lighting really mattered in that room, and those who designed that place, the lighting was a, a key thing that they built into the, uh, how they put the room together. It didn't really matter. An on-off switch would have worked as well, but it made it fun and made it special for us. But in our day-to-day life, lighting really does matter. The light of Christ really does matter. It really matters that we're walking in the light of the word and that we're really walking in the light that God gives to us through his word and through the presence, through the presence of his spirit. We need light for guidance, for safety. We need light for truth. We need it for this authenticity of which we speak today. Darkness hides and obscures lies, and darkness hides and obscures evil, and light reveals what is real. Authentic faith is a faith that is lived in the full light of Jesus. And so John says in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. This is a message we've heard. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. Light matters. It's more than just a characteristic of God. John is here drawing on the Old Testament imagery of light that has more to do with it just being light. It has more to do with with finding the right path. I mean, think of some of the Old Testament verses that may sound familiar from Isaiah 9. The part about there shall be a child born to us, just before that says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The Messiah is coming to provide light for the way that we need to live and the way towards the future. Or Psalm uh, 119.105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Light often in the Old Testament meant a guidance, a way, a way forward. And I believe John is pulling on it saying, God is the way, God is the way forward. And authentic faith is going to be lived out in the light of God. And when we do that, then secondly, we will be empowered and enabled to live as authentic followers 
authentic followers where we get real with God and with others. As we get to verse 6, John begins to zero in on the false teachers. But what he observes and says really speaks to the broader picture of our own authenticity. He uses this phrase or formula, if we claim to be or if we claim to have, but aren't or but don't. So he has a sort of making a claim and yet not really living up to it. So he's pressing at the authenticity of our own following and our own walk with Christ. Honesty about our talk and our walk. Verse 6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There are too many sad and disappointing stories about people living double lives these days, aren't there? Too many sad and disappointing stories. There's there's the pretense of who we think we are, who we ought to be, what others expect of us to be or to say. There's the things we do to draw the approval and the affirmation of others, the little things we think and look at, the things that we do to ourselves that lead us even to live double lives. It's easier to see the, the, the bigger story sometimes. The stories of Jared, the sad story of Jared from Subway and his great fall was the latest to hit the news this week. These stories of double lives, unfortunately, are most often about men and sex, but not all of them. There's plenty of other stories of double lives as well. One hit the news this week that was a woman in embezzlement, a woman in in a high position with a big company. And so sometimes we may look at these stories and it's easy then to distance ourselves from these stories of betrayal and broken trust and say, that's not me. And yet when we come home, it is those things that I just mentioned of our own sense of are we the same person all the time? The pretense of who we think we ought to be, what others expect of us. There's the things we do to draw attention and affirmation from others. The little things that we think, the things that we look at, the things that we drink, the things that we swallow, the things that we buy that may seem harmless in little bits and yet these are done sometimes to ease a little bit of emotional pain, to ease a loneliness we feel, to please a little bit of longing, to keep rest a little bit of anger. All of these little things, whether legal or not, can be things that distance us from other people. And those can take us then to darker places. Authentic followers are willing to press into these things and say, God, shine your light in me. Help me see the places where I'm not always living an integrated life here. What are the the thought patterns I have? What are the little habits? What are the little things that I tell myself that maybe don't measure up with who you want me to be or who I want others to see in the real me? In our walk with Christ and with other believers, there is the hope of honesty and authenticity. But it doesn't just happen when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior. There needs to be a willingness to step into the light. There needs to be a willingness to deal with some of this stuff, to step a little bit, bit by bit, into the light of God's grace and God's unconditional love and find the acceptance of God and do the work with some of these inner struggles. It's it's harder to do it with people sometimes. But there is the hope in some safe places of finding a place of saying, I struggle with this. Do you, will you pray for me? I want victory over this area. Will you help me? And when we do that, usually we find that others heave a sigh of relief saying, I'm not the only one struggling with this. We find a safe place to get strong in Christ. 
light comes and some of that darkness then goes away where we're feeling a little bit of guilt or an incongruity in our own lives. We get honest about our talk and our walk matching up if we're willing to do it. We can get real. We can get authentic. It's being honest about failure and forgiveness. Secondly, here in verse 8, John says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The implication here is that this is a confession to God, but as this fellowship and community have a key role in this letter, it may very well mean a confession to each other that John speaks of. Not necessarily public confession or in worship, but in appropriate and safe settings within the community. That's that's authentic community, (laughs) where we can be ourselves and yet be be the self that wants to grow and become more like Christ. That's what encourages us to be authentic followers, to feel a safety with other believers, to feel an acceptance from God, a safety with other believers, and say, let's grow together. Let's live out this authentic faith and be authentic followers. Did I mention that this is kind of hard work? (laughs) Did I mention that this is a particularly scary thing to do for some of us? Did I mention that it's really easier to define fellowship and community building as fun activities or social events? It's great to throw fellowship into those things. But when we take fellowship to these deeper places, it's a little bit harder. But those kind of things can build a foundation but not replace the real life stuff of working together, doing life together, getting real with God, getting real with each other, and becoming more authentic in our pursuit of the authentic living Christ. It's really a question of becoming the me that God called me to be. I love John Ortberg has a book about becoming that person. And he says, this isn't about becoming more Becoming holier, it's about you becoming more you-ier, <laughs> which is a weird word, but becoming the you that God really called you to be. It reminded me of a story I found really several years ago, but I pulled it back out because I think it works for us. A little bit in light of what Kayla shared about the Indian Reservation because it takes place on one. As part of an assignment for a doctoral thesis, a college student spent a year with a group of Navajo Indians on a reservation in the Southwest. As he did his research, he lived with one family, sleeping in their hut, eating their food, working with them, and generally living the life of a 20th century Indian. The story is that old. A close friendship developed between the student and the grandmother. The grandmother. They spent a great deal of time sharing a friendship that was meaningful to both of them and yet unexplainable to someone else. In spite of the language and language difference, they shared the common language of love, and they understood each other, this grad student and this grandmother. When it was time for him to return to the campus and write his thesis, the tribe held a going-away celebration. It was marked by sadness since the young man had become close to the whole village and everyone was going to miss him. As he prepared to get up into the pickup truck and leave, the old grandmother came to tell him goodbye. And with tears streaming down from her eyes, she placed her hands on either side of his face, looked directly into his eyes and said, I like me best when I'm with you. I like me best when I'm with you. I thought of this this week as I was working with this text and pulled out this old story. And even experienced on Thursday in terms of my 
my relationship with Christ. I left the house with several things on my mind, and I was grumpy about a couple things. I was feeling a little bit sluggish. I was feeling sorry for myself because my knee hurt and I couldn't run, and I was a little distracted, but I, I had a lot to do that day too, and so I was a little grumpy. But I stopped at my little prayer woods, which is Goodrich. Uh, I don't know what it's called. Is it Goodrich? The little forest preserve right down the street here. And um, sometimes I'll do that. I'll just stop there, and I'll take one loop, and if I need to pray more, I'll take another loop. If I need one loop for perspective and another loop for prayer, I'll do that. And I took the time to do that. And God, as he often does, God lives down there, by the way, because he meets me there all the time, in case you want to know. <laughs> At least for me, he does. <laughs> um, and I don't lift this up as, oh, what a holy thing the pastor has done. I just want to tell you that God took me from this grumpy place and gave me some perspective on myself, on my day. Uh, he gave me the word hope for some things that I was working on. And, um, and all of a sudden, I remembered the story and went, I, I liked myself a lot better when I came out of those woods because I'd been with him. And I, and, I, and I took that into the day and into the responsibilities of that day. I like me best when I'm walking closely with Jesus and it affects the other relationship in my life. I want to look in the face of Jesus and say, I like me best when I'm with you. I want to look in the face of my fellow Jesus followers and say, I like me best when I'm with you. I like me best when I'm being an authentic follower of Christ. I like me best when I'm clinging to an authentic faith. I like me best when I'm willing to admit these places where there's gaps and grumpiness and places where there's still some darkness that I need the light to shine into in order to be more authentic. I like me best when I'm with you. So as we wrap this up and uh, wrap up our look at First John, where might God be calling you to a deeper authenticity with him? What, he might, be, what might he be calling you to to, uh, to, to to be more real, to be more authentic with others and more authentic with yourself? Or another way to look at it is, where is the light of God's word doing a work in you? Perhaps as you've been reading through it these last 40 days for those that have. Where, where does light seem to be uh, shining the brightest? What are some things that pop off the page a little more than others? Maybe it's the place that God wants to invite you or speak to you. And then finally, I come back to this for next week. What story, what reflection, what observation would you want to share with a church family next Sunday as we conclude our summer book club? Let me know and... Uh, know what God's doing. But let's go to God and ask him to do this work of, of making us real. We're, we're on a journey. I see it happen in my own life. I see it in so many of your lives as you open up to me as well. But I think authenticity is a good word to land on as we, as we finish this. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we want to be able to say as John did that we are convinced that though we have not physically seen you, we have experienced you working in our life in such vivid and clear and real ways. And we have read the word enough to understand who you are that we can cling to what we truly believe is an authentic faith, not with all the questions answered yet, but with the proof in the living of our lives that it's authentic, that you, Lord Jesus, are the real deal. You are who you said you were, and you are who you say you are as we spend time with you now. And so we ask you to deepen our faith and make us more certain. And then, Lord, I pray for each of us that you would give us the courage and the desire to go deeper with each other, that ours would be a goal of authenticity, to sharpen one another to be a light to each other as we struggle with some of these dark corners that still 
pop up here and there. Lord, that you would do a work of bringing our lives to a place where the light is allowed to shine, where your grace is abundant, and your power to bring change and new direction and give hope is so vivid and so real. We can touch it and we can see it. Lord, that we would meet each day where we realize we want to be the best us we can be and we like ourselves best when we're with you. We love you, Lord, and we commit this to you and pray it in Christ's name. Amen.